we found it. The reason why it seems treatment medications are illegal nowadays. It came up in a fascinating interview with today's guest on the John Henry Weston Show, Dr. Peter Bregan. He's a famous psychiatrist who has for decades fought the corruption in the field of medicine. Dr. Bregan's background includes Harvard College, Case Western Reserve Medical School, a teaching fellowship at Harvard Medical School, a two-year staff appointment at the National Institute of Mental Health. He has taught at several universities, including a faculty appointment to the Johns Hopkins University. In the early 90s, Dr. Bregan was appointed and approved by the court as the single scientific expert for more than 100 combined Prozac product liability uh, concerning violence, suicide, and other behavioral aberrations caused by the antidepressant. That's all in addition to his dozens of papers, books, and decades of private practice in psychiatry. He is known as the conscience of psychiatry. Stay tuned. Dr. Peter Bregan, thank you for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Oh, I am so glad to be here. I have an interesting story to tell you. Uh, The night before your producer contacted us and asked if we go on the show, uh, Ginger, my wife, my partner's kind of my eyes and ears to the world in many ways, out of the blue, puts your show up for me to look at. I mean, we're supposed to be going to bed. And it's your show on transhumanism. And I watched this show for an hour. Oh, and I just realized something. And that night I dreamed the devil in a nightmare was coming after me. Oh my God, in the form of a horse. I don't know, I've never talked like this on TV before, (laughs) but that's really what happened. So I'm watching this and I'm saying, John Henry Weston, I've not seen him before. She's always a wonderful man. So he's got this amazing life site news and uh, it would be just terrific if someday we could be on him. And then I'm listening to the concepts that you're exploring uh, about transhumanism because it's it's beginning to dawn on me that I I was one of the really cutting edges on fighting transhumanism because I took pretty much five years out of my professional life in the early 70s, that's how old I am, to um, stop, stop the return of psychiatric brain mutilation. I'm a psychiatrist and um, I ended up having to confront sometimes on stage, sometimes just in the literature, you know, top Harvard psychiatrists and uh, people, Jose Delgado uh, from Spain, who was linking psychosurgery to controlling people in a totalitarian state and saying it was against the Bill of Rights, uh, uh, you know, this transhumanism without the word. How can you have a, how can you have free will when your brain's controllable? And on and on. And this stuff appalled me. I wrote about it extensively in various places and eventually stopped the program. But I never made the full spiritual connection. I did partly. Um, this is exploratory for me. I, had, we, the, I forced Ted Kennedy to have a uh, hearing on psychosurgery. He didn't want to go near it because it wasn't out yet that Rosemary had been lobotomized by his dad. So... I got a brown envelope with Rosemary's records, part of it, and pictures of her and where she was confined. 
and I sent that word to to uh, to Kennedy. I was a tough little kid. I sent that word to, to Kennedy through a, a, a very important journalist at the time. And I'm not that aggressive now. And I said, you better hold hearings. And um, he eventually held hearings. But the hearings he tried to skew to pro-psychosurgery. He made it seem that I was the anti-scientist when I'm the scientist. I had... I'd reviewed their papers, I'd published papers, and so on and so forth. So um, I sit down in the audience. It's my first hearing I've ever been at. I testify that. I don't know the protocol. And Ted Kennedy starts to criticize me, that I'm like the people who would have, he said, burned Galileo at the stake. I think he thought Galileo had been burned at the stake. Or, and... Um, and I don't know where it came from, but I just stood up in the gallery and I said, I'm going to address you on this, uh, Senator Kennedy. And I get several people up front said, you cannot do that. Stop. I said, I'm going to address you. You're comparing heart surgery to brain surgery, Senator. You're saying that we damage the heart to improve its function. And why can't we damage the brain to improve its function? And I said, Senator Kennedy, through your bloodstream runs your blood. It's purely physical. You need your brain to express your soul, sir. And when you damage it, your soul has a lot of trouble getting expressed. Hmm. So the New York Times dismissed my entire testimony. This was just from the thing as uh, I was against psychosurgery on religious principles yeah. and didn't, didn't do any science. I was I was getting canceled back then. So, I mean, this is it stirred up into your show. I mean, then there was the abortion issue. I've always wrestled with abortion. Many people came up to me uh, during the 70s uh, when I was, I was fairly progressive and um, at that point and said to me, you know, you really should be against abortion. And I hadn't really thought a lot about it. Um, and uh, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you talk about an abortion of the spirit, even use that language when you talk about psychosurgery. And then listening to you with that interview on transhumanism and that wonderful guest. Uh, Dr. Miklos Lukacs. Yeah. He, he, uh, he was just amazing. I'd like to have him on my, my radio TV uh, weekly. Uh, oh, I'd be happy to, to push along the information for you. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really great. And he connected abortion directly to transhumanism. And that just gave me, it was like, oh, Gingy, of course, of course. If you can take the life in the womb, you certainly can modify life for the rest of the child's existence. And of course, I knew it justified euthanasia. But, you know, I just come, I came from such a, a, a liberal, uh, progressive kind of background. It was like pieces over the years that I've been like putting together because my instincts have always been so toward conservatism. It's, it's so strange because there was, I didn't even ever talk to a conservative until I worked with some senators who supported my psychosurgery campaign, some conservative senators, Buckley of all people from New York. Uh, so there, that's a little intro, and I'm I'm a little at Twitter just uh, telling you about this. And so that's the night. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I've had a nightmare. It's very unusual. With old Ginger, uh, I was in a room, and there was a horse that looked like the devil, and I didn't know how to fight it. 
Wow. Very good. Well, it's very interesting, too, because, you know, you've been one of the doctors, one of the medical doctors, uh, who has been very outspoken uh, in this whole area of COVID, the coronavirus, its origins, and specifically what's happening to people with it. Uh, What's the name of your new book that's coming out in May on the subject? The book is COVID-19 and the Global Predators. And the subtitle is We Are the Prey. And um, it has three wonderful introductions by the top frontline doctors in the world who are treating. They're amazing people in themselves. And the book uh, goes uh, from everything from the details of what uh, Fauci's been doing to what's the World Health Organization doing, what's Bill Gates doing, what are the top tech companies doing, what's the UN doing. It just looks at a whole picture um, which eventually comes, I come to say that COVID-19 is something they have been very carefully planting, planning for. We can really, really track it. We don't know if the Chinese purposely released it, but these men were all purposely planning on this and looking ahead to it. And Fauci was making it possible by sending money to the Chinese Wuhan Institute and paying their researchers in addition, and in addition paying collaborative studies between the University of North Carolina and the Wuhan Institute scientists building SARS-CoV-2 viruses. I mean, the media has been in such denial. We have the scientific papers. There's probably eight or nine papers I track showing almost always with Fauci funding as part of the picture, independent Chinese projects, projects with the United States, and then just Wuhan Institute work in general, uh, developing viruses that are in the line of SARS-CoV-2. And uh, they're called SARS-CoV viruses in the studies. In fact, there were two releases of SARS-CoV viruses by accident in Beijing in 2003-2004. And in fact, we don't know of a single SARS-CoV epidemic that was definitively out of nature because the first one is closely related to them doing research on SARS-CoV at Beijing. So we do know that the, the, the chance of, an, of, a, of a release of a SARS-CoV virus is infinitely higher, infinitely than one coming from nature. That's one of the things Fauci's lying about. He's, oh, we have to do this research to to deal with any uh, spontaneous uh, manifestation of one of these uh, viruses from nature. But actually, most of the releases are stuff we've created that we're working with in the labs. And I say we, I mean the scientists of of the world, uh, not just China and America. So the book takes on this larger scientific political scope. So we're going to play a little clip of uh, Fauci, whom you were talking about, he early on in the um, in the Trump presidency, and this is before he comes on the stage, before we see anything of coronavirus, um, he basically warns that there is going to be a surprise outbreak. And uh, we're going to play that clip now. There will be a surprise outbreak. And I hope by the end of my relatively short presentation, you will understand why history 
the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with. So for those who think that infectious diseases is gone, there's so many people who have made foolhardy statements not knowing at the time that they made them. I usually show a quote from an old surgeon general or an old uh, pundit in infectious disease. So I thought I'd pull this one out from Sir McFarlane Burnett, who was actually a uh, uh, Nobel Prize winning immunologist, uh, who made the statement, as many did, to write about infectious diseases is almost to write of something that has passed into history. The most likely forecast about the future of infectious diseases is that it will be very dull, uh, which is really kind of interesting coming from a semi-genius like McFarlane Burnett. Dr. Bregan, can I get your reaction to that uh, unbelievable clip where it seems he has some kind of weird foreknowledge? (laughs) He seems like a prophet. Well, I actually focus a, a, a central chapter on the book about Fauci's foreknowledge. I mean, he actually, at different points in this speech, says he knows with certainty mm-hmm. that there will be a pandemic in the administration of Trump. He says this three days before Trump's inauguration. He has people from all over the world getting together to plan with him how he's going to respond to this pandemic, which he is predicting as certainty is one of his words in his his entire speech. And and there's no Trump representatives at the conference at all. And since it's three days before inauguration, they probably never even heard of this thing that was going on at George Washington University. Now, one of the sponsors uh, of this is Fauci, and the, the, it's held at the George Washington University, uh, their uh, uh, public health people. But lesser known is it was co-sponsored by Harvard's Institute, uh, Har- well, Harvard's um, Public Health Institute there, their school. And so that made me really curious trying to figure out what is going on here with the connections, because the fellow who was at the conference, who, who uh, uh, co-directed co-de- it with Fauci, was named Ja, J-H-A, and Ja attacked violently the uh, frontline doctors who were promoting good treatments for uh, COVID-19. Um, they went before Senator Johnson's committee and they presented their very strong arguments. I know these men, we work together, they're tremendous scientists. And after their talk, the uh, one Democrat who was at the conference put up uh, a distant video, um, uh, probably canned, of, of, uh, of Ja ridiculing these marvelous scientists, trashing them in a disgraceful way which I discussed in the book. So I looked up Harvard and Ja. Meanwhile, Ja has now gone to Brown University. And I find out that Harvard University's School of Health, Public Health, was co-founded with the Chinese Communist Party. It's all about China in their discussion of their own history. Wow. That's how deep these connections are. And Ja, at the same conference that the clip was from, 
is talking about, he doesn't use the word certainty, but how he knows this is going to happen in the administration of Donald Trump. It makes my head spin. There's nothing about conspiracy theory here. I've written 23 or four books, many of them published by a medical publisher. Um, I have, uh, you know, written maybe 70 scientific peer-reviewed articles. So all this is very, very heavily science-based. One of the things that it really, with regard to the whole uh, plandemic, as some people call it, uh, that's really, really fascinating is uh, before the show, we were talking about uh, a clip of one of the other major, major players uh, in this whole thing, and that is Bill Gates. Um, and you had mentioned something about uh, Bill Gates predicting already in 2017 uh, that this was coming and working on it. Uh, can you set that up for us? And then we're going to watch the clip. Let me give you a little more background. 2017 was an amazing year because in that year, um, one of three things happened. Probably the biggest, well, they're all big. Uh, Bill Gates announces at a Schwab conference, Schwab, Klaus Schwab is the author of the concept of the Great Reset, and his book is COVID-19 and the Great Reset. So you see, he's thinking of COVID-19 as the opportunity of the Great Reset. People don't realize this stuff. These guys have come out and said it. And so it's natural at Schwab's uh, conference that Gates talks about bringing together the billionaires, the big corporation, and the governments of the world to prepare for a coming pandemic, which he believes is the, and he says this in a press conference actually there with favorable people in the press, that, that this is the greatest danger to humanity, that he is already, and, and this is January 2017, exactly three years before we become aware of the pandemic. Um, he is saying he's working with a, with various drug companies and big corporations to get a setup, a platform, so that we can produce um, these vaccines and get them through approval in less than a year, rather than in the many years it uh, already takes. And he even names one of the companies, which will end up having one of the major vaccines. Um, he's clearly describing... Um, the development of Operation um, Warp Speed. Warp Speed. I'm sorry that I'm a little because it's a lot of stuff here. So he's he's clearly describing Operation Warp Speed. I always thought that Donald Trump must have had a big hand in Operation Warp Speed, and I could never understand why he was so bamboozled that he would do that, that he would believe and trust the pharmaceutical industry. And I think Donald Trump was, was actually, contrary to everything the progressives say about him, naive. I don't think he understood the depth of the, of the evil that surrounded him. So it didn't occur to him that when Fauci comes and they start talking and Fauci probably leads them along and they develop Operation Warp Speed, that this is the idea of Bill Gates in 2017. Now, there's another piece of this that is just blew my mind away. When I read very recently and started to watch these particular uh, videos by Gates. And there were several of them from the conference. 
I started to think to myself, well, I know that in order for them to do this, <clears throat> they had to uh, develop the emergency act that would allow them to uh, rush everything through without proper testing. It's called the EUA and the, the, Emer uh, the Emergency Use Act or authorization. And I thought to myself, all right, I've read that. I've got it in the book. Gates is he's around Jan January 24th, 28th, right in that area. When the heck did they get that act approved? Because if I'm right, they've been planning the act right along with everything else. So I go look up the act. January 1, 2017, the FDA announces the Emergency Authorization Authority. I got chills. My Lord, they're bringing all this together in 2017. And then another thing. A program that is uh, we just discovered a day or two ago, which uh, uh, I'm very surprised that we had so little knowledge of. It's called SPARS Band Pandemic 2025-2028. SPARS. It's a play on SARS. So Johns Hopkins in 2017 is has a word play on. This on a on a uh, an epidemic. They're calling it SPARS instead of stars, uh, SARS, and they are bringing together the concept of the Great Reset. It's a book, small book, bringing in big corporations and communicating between the public and the corporations and the governments, laying out all of this stuff again, way in advance, and this is not the famous 2020 Johns Hopkins conference that uh, was a, a event 201 uh, where they actually met together to discuss this. This is 2017. It's the big year. It's the unveiling of everything three years ahead of time. And I've only put this together in this week. You, you're, you're getting the fullest comprehension of it. And it's going to go last minute into the manuscript. It is an incredible thing because that program uh, laid out the 25 to 2025 to 2028 sort of lays out um, the, what we're all going through now, but from 2020 to 2023, but also in a very much the same way as event 201 laid out very specifically exactly what they're going to do step by step by step, not only including the lockdowns, but also, and, and this is incredible, what they're going to do to dissenting voices, how they're going to shut down, uh, cancel, if you will, all sorts of media voices that would dare to say anything different. Um, that, I mean, you, you said at the outset that you uh, have experienced cancel culture uh, already in the 70s. So I, I think that's, that's just great. So you're used to this already. But uh, for many of us who are just, uh, you know, had a dream that there was such a thing as freedom of speech uh, in America and thought, oh, well, we're, we'll be able to say what we're saying because it's based in truth and truth is our defense. No, no, indeed. Um, we're going to get canceled. Um, you might know our main our main YouTube channel uh, with over 315,000 fans uh, got uh, got totally deleted by YouTube uh, over the COVID issue. No, I actually didn't know that. When did that happen? Yeah, just last month. So uh, we oh, are... God. 
this is it's quite something and uh you know we only received the first warnings after uh biden got elected of course so anyway there's very uh very interesting times that we're living in but the connections uh that you've made in your book and that we're seeing all over the place now are really quite something but at the same time as is predicted in that Johns Hopkins documents from 2017 and in the 2019, um, uh, what's it called, the Event 201, yeah. the public doesn't seem to um, make that much of it. it. It seems to not matter so much. Most of them go along with things anyway, despite the evidence hiding in plain sight. Um, it's, it's very bizarre indeed. This is one of the things you address. You're you're a psychiatrist by background, and I know you've fought a lot of the um, harms coming from the community, the the psychiatric community with with drugs and these horrible operations that you yourself got stopped. Um, what have you seen in this war that's going on right now? The psychological effect uh, on people. Uh, in our day and age. We've never had these kinds of lockdowns before on a global level. Um, what have you seen that's most alarmed you? Interestingly enough, it's not so much the effects on on the people as how they're managing them because, you know, we're facing a vast political push of top-down government to crush the spontaneity of the human being. And this, this is the global picture. Let me approach that a little bit first. Schwab, on page 111 of his book, um, which is, again, COVID, his, his COVID-19 and the Great Reset, I mean, he's making the direct link. He says, through some convoluted language, that we can't have globalism if we have strong patriotic democracies. I mean, if you just have a patriotic nation, that's okay. You just have a democratic nation, uh, you know, we can take those over. But if you put together a patriotic democracy, which is the U.S., and it is populism, that we're a democratic republic, of course, we can't have the globalism. So the main opponent, the main obstacle, although America has not realized it, some people do, obviously, some great writers who have recognized this, but America is the uh, block to globalism. And it's our patriotism and our democratic republic, um, both of which Biden and so on, Kerry and all those folks are trying desperately to destroy along with the Chinese Communist Party. And so they're using public health to that purpose. And that's the brilliance of what they're doing because public health is a very weak science. It's a very, very weak science. And... um, I mean, it's attempting to deal with so many infinite factors in any any setting it's looking at, of disease spread. And the one thing that public health has done is to ignore individual liberty because it stands in the way. So you don't, you can go through and read a whole book with 20 chapters on public health, and there might be hardly one, maybe one, maybe not, that talks about, well, we've got to deal with the Bill of Rights, or we've got to deal with this or that. But it's always, we got to deal with it. It's never, we got to beg for them, before them, to present our case, because we're interfering with the most important principle in the world, the Bill of Rights, Constitution, individual liberty, God, God forbid, God. Um, and the whole founding principles of the country. 
Well, public health has eradicated all that because it, it's got to save the world. <laughs> and that's how Fauci thinks. That will help people understand how Fauci thinks. So they're all megalomaniacs, a whole bunch of them. And public health, uh, my wife Ginger uh, brought this to me. She's a great researcher, has a whole school within it of how to inflict enough fear to get what you want hmm. from the public. So it's a part of the policy making is the building in of fear. And I believe that if we look at what's being done to Americans, it is totally understandable, not as anything to do with COVID-19. It's almost irrelevant to what's going on right now. It's pretty much irrelevant. It's the opportunity they were hoping for even before 2017, because Gates has been working on this stuff long before he, he's able to put together a billion dollar projects he was putting together and describing in 2017, working with Moderna. He's already been working with Moderna on fast tracking uh, uh, vaccines back in 2017. So goodness knows how far back it goes. And by the way, Fauci's on his vaccine committee. He's got this elite vaccine committee, Bill Gates, and Fauci's on it. He's by six people on it. So the tides are bedazzling. The whole goal is to increase docility in the population. And totalitarianism, heavy authoritarianism, is crushing to the human spirit. I'm a scientist. I believe in evolution. I believe that God may be, uh, breathe life into us, that we have, I believe in kind of vitalism that we're inspired, we have God in us. But there is an evolutionary process we could trace scientifically, and at no point are we docile. We live in extended families. From the time we're little creatures and trees, we live in extended families. You can take this part out if you like, but I give you permission in advance. But um, we, we, we evolved to be in families, to be spiritual, to feel connected to nature, to feel connected to superior powers, to love each other, <clears throat> and to be fighters in defense of our extended families. There were no villages, let alone nations. We are free, and we couldn't have a totalitarian leader because we made our own clothing, we made our own weapons. Uh, how is anybody going to rule us? I mean, a family of five could go and leave the extended family and go survive probably pretty adequately in most environments just by doing the hunting and whatever else, the farm, not farming, but the hunting and the gathering. So we're free people, no matter how you look at our, our development. Once you start to crush us, we become as animals in cages. And I actually have the a great uh, animal psychologist a friend of mine write a little section in the book that I put into the book about what happens to caged animals. They become apathetic. They become depressed. They lose their spontaneity. They become like our children on drugs. Uh, they are children on Ritalin and the stimulant drugs. Uh, I make these comparisons in my scientific articles that uh, you see, the whole thing is about this. Going psychiatry is about this. It's about handling the human by crushing the spirit. There's nothing psychiatry does. My colleagues, now that they've given up doing psychotherapy to make money, seeing five drug patients a day, there's nothing, nothing elevating in psychiatry right now. Um, 
it's all about crushing the spirit. And if it's perfectly into the transhumanism, if it's perfectly at everything you believe, and that I heard in your, your wonderful interview about transhumanism. So what they're doing to us is exactly what people are feeling. And I don't, I don't think it's good to call, give it diagnostic labels, say more people have suicidality, more people have anxiety, more people. No, more people are being crushed. And when people get crushed, they get more guilty, they get more ashamed, they get more anxious, they get more rageful, they get more self-destructive, they get all of the things that happened to my people, the Jews, in the Nazi extermination camps. So that's the way of turning us in our country into that. And I just realized that my wife and I just put out a new blog yesterday on Bregan.com. I forgot this, actually. So much going on, in which I apply the Nuremberg Code to America. Hmm. Can people in America volunteer for vaccines? No. Because the Nuremberg Code says if you're living in a totalitarian controlled situation in which there's huge pressure on you to do what you're told, where there are threats against you if you don't do what you're told, if you're told you can't travel unless you do it, you you can't go to ball games or the opera or anything else you want to do unless you get your pass and you, and even if this doesn't fully happen, it's in the works and scaring people. And besides you'll die without it. And all, which is all nonsense vaccine is much more dangerous than the disease COVID-19. Vaccine is much more dangerous. You put people in that situation, I think we should apply the Nuremberg Code to America and say that Americans are people now in concentration camps, not yet extermination camps, controlled what's called total institutions. So of course they're not volunteering for the vaccine. I have a dearly uh, loved friend whose spouse got so frightened about not doing the vaccine, what it would do to their work and to their relationships, that uh, my, my friend got the vaccine, got quite sick. Um, fortunately, uh, it's probably going to have a full recovery at this point in time, but got much sicker than expected because they're lying. They're lying. Many people are getting much sicker than expected. So... Did, did her husband, did she volunteer for the vaccine? No. They were coerced. So we want to apply the Nuremberg Code. And this was my wife's idea. I had a much more limited idea. I said, honey, we can apply this now to the nursing homes because they're like concentration camps. We can apply it to the prisons. We can apply it to all kinds of institutions because that's what the legal, I was in the legal case that applied uh, I was the central medical expert in, in 1972 in a legal case, Cambowitz, that got the judges to apply the Nuremberg Code to state mental hospitals in America, saying you, can't, you nobody is volunteering for psychosurgery in a mental hospital. It's like the Jews volunteering for freezing experiments instead of getting gas. And it was a big thing. It stopped psychosurgery in all the American institutions. It never got appealed. It stopped it in the VA, places I was criticizing, stopped it at NIH, stopped it in all the state hospitals. So my wife looks at me and said, says, honey, that's America today. Mm-hmm. I said, we got to do a blog. In the middle of all this, all the, all the media and everything, we got, so we got a blog out today. Uh, actually, we, we, we put it out before it got edited. We, we had to re-edit it and put it out. So much going on. So 
I mean, the issues we're trying to address, um, I'm trying to bring this lifetime of experience. I'll tell you a, a funny story. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you something personal again. Um, when I was took on psychiatry, I was always alone. I was called the conscience psychiatry. A great psychologist called me the conscience of psychiatry. I never had much professional backing. I never had a significantly placed psychiatrist or physician join me. I had maybe 20 psychiatrists who didn't have big positions anywhere, who quietly lent their names so people would know that there'd be letters and things to protect me and that. But I had congressmen and senators and other people during this period of time that I was working with. But I had no real colleagues. And um, uh, we were afraid to take on this whole new thing of COVID-19 because I'm supposed to be the conscious psychiatrist. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get wiped out because of this. The vaccine people are murderous. I mean, it's just terrible that people would be dealing with. And um, so we waited for news from somebody bigger than us. And finally, um, when we learned that Fauci was funding the Chinese Communist Party's ability to make COVID, SARS-CoV virus, as we said. It, that's the message, honey. No one's talking about this. I've huge expertise in this area. You're a great researcher in this area. So we, we actually, that's when we went into this. And we got, two days later, we, we knew people in the Trump circle. And two days later, Trump canceled the Fauci funding. And we said, that's the signal. We got to say, you know, we're supposed to do this wholesale and do this. And then about a month later, Ginger said, you know, I always so proudly thought that your whole life and my whole life really was really, we were guided to take on psychiatry. She said, and you know what? That was just prep to join, not as the big conscience, but to join hundreds of other doctors around the world fighting COVID-19 and bring in this expertise you have about drug companies and how they work and all these interactions. Because we were, I was involved with suing drug companies and stuff as an expert. I'm really kind of just talking away here. I'm a little embarrassed. Well, it raises an interesting question because one of the big questions that people have is something even even from the perspective of i believe in everything about covid and it's the most serious thing we've ever faced and everything else uh, okay let's give that over just for the time being for the sake of argument even those folks are confused about one thing the fact that when you get covid-19 you're not told anything but stay home till it's really 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 bad and then come into the hospital so I'd like your medical opinion on that because no one talks about treatment at home or what you should do. That's not part of the discussion at all. It's, yeah, you get sick, um, just just wait it out and uh, and then just come to the hospital when you're really, really bad. What is that? Why is that? And does that make any sense medically? My friend Zev Zelenko um, was the earliest formulator of the, good, of the really good treatments for COVID-19. He was in a Jewish community north of uh, New York, and there was a, a lot of COVID-19. And he came up with the uh, original formulation for hydroxychloroquine in combination with zinc, and then in combination with uh, vitamin C and other things. Uh, and, uh, and then he worked with the McCullough, Peter McCullough, in, in developing uh, the first big scientific article on all of this and so on. 
and he met with enormous hostility. He had to, he, there was so much anti-Semitism directed by the mayor at him for putting in this early treatment that the community, my fellow Jews can be very cowardly. Folks, we got to really get, get some more backbone. backbone. He had to leave his own community. So that's at the very start of all of this, that from the start, they knew that they could not have an effective treatment. Now, why did they know that? Uh, earlier on, I talked about the Emer Emergency Authorization Authority that allows you, it allows uh, Trump you know, to do uh, his uh, rush program, get all, all the things through and warp speed, Operation Warp Speed. Well, in, the, in that legislation, <clears throat> it is written that the government can do this, including the government can even fund the drug companies, give them money, give them, give them money, not even a contract, give them money, providing there is no adequate treatment available. People don't know this fine print. They have no idea what, what's the doctors who are telling their patients, I have no treatment for you. I'm not allowed to give you any treatment. They don't know what this is. And that's that 2017 act that I was telling you about. So they have to kill all the good, decent, solid treatments in order to be able to rush through uh, their drugs, which are crap, and their vaccines, which are highly experimental, highly dangerous, unique, have never before uh, tested on animals or anybody interfering with the RNA of your cells, which is what they do. They transform the RNA, which is very closely allied to the DNA, um, to make proteins that your own cells can then attack, your own body can then attack, your T cells, your antibodies. I could go into that in some more detail, perhaps, but I just want to get across, this is a very weird thing. But the whole reason why there's no treatments is because if there are effective treatments that are existing and old and, and, and worse yet, inexpensive, so the drug companies can't make any money on them, they have to be crushed. That really explains it. Because... This has been one of the most confusing things. Nobody understood why um, hydroxychloroquine, which had been used forever and ever, in combination with zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C and, um, and perhaps erythromycin, the treatment works. And yet, nope, it's illegal. People, it would, that was ridiculous. And then, even while that was being crushed so badly, you thought, oh my gosh, it must be something really deadly. And people freaked out. Over in India, they were using ivermectin treatment. Very similar formula, but with ivermectin. And that too was very successful. And the, I think the treatment was two, two bucks. <laughs> and um, everything seemed to go well, but it was illegal in America. It was, it, complete insanity and nobody could understand. And yet now you've explained it. If in order to get warp speed to go, in order to fund the drug companies, in order to allow this emergency youth authorization to go so quickly, to bypass all the trials, they had to have no treatment, then this makes sense. But this sounds like a dystopian nightmare. Like, really? Control is that bad? Really? This is such a conspiracy among the the you want to say the pharmaceuticals, but it's even beyond the pharmaceuticals. Tell us, what is it really about? What is the big picture here? The desire in human 
human beings to dominate other human beings has been with us since the beginning. It's <clears throat> it's uh, portrayed in the uh, first family in the Bible, where one brother kills another to uh, try to you know get his father's favor. It's in Adam and Eve's story with the seduction of Eve by the serpent, and then she disobeys God. But and if you look back in history, as soon as human beings get villages, they start attacking each other. There is, uh, you know, Freud, who in many ways is despicable, uh, you know, really anti-spiritual human being. You know, he, to try to explain this, he came up with that we have a life instinct and a death instinct. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's that. I I think that uh, human beings uh, bear this... uh, this challenge to manage their violent, hateful impulses toward anybody who's not a member of their family, who's not, and even in the family, as as the first big Bible family story. And there's always this tension um, between those who would dominate human beings and those who are resisting. Um, and it's been fought out against Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar. Uh, some of them are worse than others. And so that force is always there. The exception was the birth of the United States of America. Because there was a moment in time when George Washington uh, had won the war. And the soldiers were uh, in bad shape and they weren't getting paid by Congress when evil set in and the soldiers gathered privately in a church and plotted to overthrow the government and seize power and get paid. And George Washington heard about it. And I described this in a little book of mine that is totally unknown called, Wow, I'm an American. It's totally unknown because my agent basically broke with me because he wouldn't even try to pass around in New York 10 years ago, whatever it was, a book called Wow, I'm an American. And he, he thought it was a disgraceful idea. Wow, I'm an American. He was ashamed, don't be ashamed to be an American. I got canceled along the way many, many times. So, um, so Washington came and he stood up and he acted frail, which was not how he liked to behave. And he put on glasses, which he never did in public. And he said, is this what all my work has come to? Those of you who love me and love of, of liberty, this is what it's come to, that you want to make me a king and a tyrant? Because they didn't want him to do it. They didn't, want, they didn't have anybody else to do it. And they got ashamed, and they all mumbled and left. And King George had said, if that's true what I'm hearing, that the general who won the victory refused to leave his soldiers against the government and take it over, he is the greatest man who's ever lived. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I so admire Washington. I've got three pictures, one up here and a couple in back of me of George Washington. Um, because he, he is a man who said, no, these principles, we're fighting something. here. We're fighting for God. He deeply believed in providence. Don't believe any of the historians, folks. He was so believed that he was not the victor. He, he said again and again, I could not have won this war. Uh, providence saved me here, Providence saved me there, Providence saved me again. And Thanksgiving wasn't Thanksgiving for getting together with the Indians. It was Thanksgiving to God for allowing us to win the war of independence. 
<laughs> for enabling us to do it. Um, so all of this is a part of my thinking when, I, when you ask such a big question of what is going on. So there was only a brief time in history when, for however it was done, all these men and their wives backing them got together and signed their death warrants, called the Declaration of Independence. It's actually the death warrant. The king read it and he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to hang John Adams by the neck and got pretty specific about people. Later he had to meet John Adams as an ambassador from the U.S., um, so you put together all this stuff, and it's clear that America is extraordinary. America is blessed. America came up with the first created nation based on liberty. Yes, it had slaves. Yes, these were flawed people. Yes, humanity is flawed beyond imagination. But they came up with ideas that would eventually do away with slavery. Hmm. They came up with ideas about God-given human rights. No one can take away. That, that, that that's just was unheard of. The king has God-given rights. Oh, no, not the king. Not in America. The monarch is not God-given. We are. <laughs> I mean, it was, well, that has always been the minority in the world. So what's happening right now is that vast embodiment that people call evil, people call the devil, um... I, I'm going to be more secular in my writing, although I, I do say that we do need a, to align with God to fight this because if we're not, we just can't by ourselves. I, I don't believe so. The founders so clearly were looking for guidance and aligned with God. It took me many years to get to this position. And um, that we've got to stand up and fight because we are fighting the same evil that Jesus died on the cross for, the same evil that uh, Moses stood up to and led the Jews out, which was probably the main symbol of many of the colonists. Uh, you know, Franklin and Adams um, and Jefferson wanted to put Exodus on the coin. Hmm. And that got zeroed out. They were Judeo-Christians. They really were in that tradition very solidly, which I like as a Jew. I like that very much. Um, well, that's what we're fighting. We are refighting the, uh, the revolution for independence. I don't think there's any way around us seeing that. And we're fighting against the same evil forces that uh, have, have been there for, forever. You know, the Jews fought the Roman Empire, you know? Jesus was destroyed by the, killed by the Roman Empire. It's always been this way. Yeah. As you look at these characters whom you've studied now for a long time, would you believe that they would go to such lengths to pull the wool over the eyes of the public to really uh, shroud what their true intentions are with um, fake news about about uh, the status of health, about uh, what they're exactly... I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to think that people would go to such lengths to masquerade what they're doing, to be so evil as to try and pull the, you know, really to pull this off, to mislead the whole public uh, generally. But it seems to be working. Uh, <laughs> It, that's why this is always sounding like a conspiracy theory, because who can believe that people can be this evil? Yeah, that is the problem. You know, I had the advantage, uh, the horrible advantage of being nine years old, sitting in a movie 
theater expecting with my parents to see a happy show we come to see and moving tone news went on in advance of it and it was uh, our first pictures of the holocaust so i'm nine years old i think at that i'm maybe no, probably not 10 and i'm hiding behind my seat and looking at this and uh and thinking what do i do with this i know we never talked about it so i got an idea fairly early of how evil it could be because I remember growing up and as a little boy and thinking if I find a little girl, then I'd be, you know, we fall in love with somebody, murder her someday. So I think, and I, and I would like to appeal to Jews. I'm starting to do this. I'm going to get in deep trouble for it. My, 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 my Jewish colleagues, I mean, my friends, my people, we go back a long way, you know, a few thousand years. It's time to actually understand Jewish history. And what's going on in COVID-19 has been what's been done to the Jews forever. Because we, you know, the thing that people hated were that we were an independent culture bound to God and, and not to man. That's what it was, you know. It wasn't that we wore funny clothing. We were an independent culture bound to one God with a set of iron ethics. And no culture of abuse could tolerate that. And since every government until America was established was established on abuse from Larnaca, Caesar, or somebody. None of them are democratic republics, except for some small Greek states and stuff like that, that, that was studied by the founders. And we should know above all people that you always have to be on guard for your freedom and your liberty. You got to leave progressivism, folks, and liberalism. I grew up with it, but you got to leave it. You get to know some really wonderful Christians because they're the main ones standing up right now on these issues few occasions, exceptions, me, Zev Zelenko, uh, uh, my friend Pam Popper, who's a nutritionist, um, standing up strong on these issues. But uh, this is what it's about. It's all about that evil that we Jews should especially know about because we have always been targeted by any nation in the world because we were a kind of nation of our own. We were willing we didn't want to fight people. We didn't have that that anymore going on. We couldn't. We didn't have the power to. We didn't have it in Israel anymore. But um, that's what's going on here. This is good and evil. It's the worst in humanity, and the worst always rises to the top in humanity. And that's the matter. Well, that's the truth of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, as soon as he gets to the top, they kill him. Hmm. So the worst rises to that. The good goes up a ways. Martin Luther King gets killed. Very, very few people have lived. I'm, I feel so pres- preciously protected that I've survived this so far. So many of my heroes are, were, were assassinated. But that's, this is it. This COVID-19, folks, just a cover. That's why when you take the vaccine, you're told you're still you still got to isolate or you still got to do this. You still, no, no, it's because it's never ending. And, and you read, when, you, when you read the, the book, you'll, you'll see that, um, that it's all been calculated to produce the Great Reset, which is the, at the heart of it is the destruction of American patriotic democracy and Donald Trump. That's what the whole thing is about. And uh, there's everybody saying Trump's going to take over the country and be the Trump is the last person in the world is going to do that. And he had every reason to. 
I mean, he's a, oh, I never thought of this. He's a little bit like George Washington. Democracy utterly failed him. It was fixed. But instead of urging people to riot and urging people to break into the Capitol and all this other nonsense, he actually called for peace and left peacefully, even though the election had been taken from him and he'd been betrayed by the Supreme Court and everybody else. I never thought of it that way. Hmm. Very interesting. The other thing uh, that we haven't really discussed yet is the vaccines themselves. Uh, what would you recommend about them? This is one of the main questions people are asking because of the massive pressure they're getting, not only from the authorities who are telling them they can't go anywhere or do anything if they don't get it, not only from their jobs, perhaps telling them already people in the medical profession being told you have to get it, otherwise find another work. People in the military being told they're forced to get it. Teachers, if they want to go back to the school, parents being told if your kids want to be in school, they have to be vaccinated. So the, the pressures are intense, but it's not only from the outside like that. It's also from the inside of your own family, uh, where your own family members are saying, oh, you're not going to take it. Are you crazy? Are you trying to infect us and kill us and so on? So what's your suggestion with regard to the vaccines? Uh, because there's all this pressure. Uh, and uh, what, are we, what are we to do with that? Well, I've actually had to rewrite some of the book uh, now that the vaccine is out. Originally, I was saying... Uh, all the doctors I know are saying, you know, wait to one or two years before taking it. Um, it's very clear now we absolutely need a moratorium on it. Don't take it. We need a moratorium. Don't let other people take it. For one thing, it's that blog we put out yesterday, uh, Clive Nuremberg Code. You can't possibly volunteer for something that you're being so threatened over if you don't do it. So there are two fundamental issues, and they're somewhat Different. They're very different, actually. There's the scientific issue and there's the political issue. The scientific issue is everybody who takes the vaccine is an experiment. You're an experimental subject. And you were planned for decades to be an experimental subject with the vaccines. Because one thing I didn't get around to is to say that back in 2017, when we had this reason I'm looking at this name, because the names are brand new to me. Have you just found all this? The SPARS pandemic, SPARS pandemic preparation that was done by Johns Hopkins in 2017 was mostly about the vaccines. And the vaccines are not discussed in the 220 Johns Hopkins. They did it already. They were thinking thir three years uh, before. And so was Bill Gates. And they were drumming up billions of dollars. Do you think Bill Gates would drum up billions and billions of dollars for people all over the world, starting maybe back in 2015, and all about vaccines? It wasn't even about the drugs. All about vaccines. If he didn't know something sure was going to happen, everybody would have gone broke. They would have been really mad at Bill Gates. He would have been quite a villain. All right. So they knew something was going to happen. I don't know how they knew or what they knew. We haven't detailed that yet. Maybe they knew that there was going to have to be an escape from Wuhan because the place was porous. Maybe they knew that. I don't think so. I think they knew something more than that. They were too sure about it. And what they were doing, folks, was the vaccine. That's the political end of it. You're the end of a totalitarian web of global predators who are all godless. None of them believe in God. None of them believe in patriotism. None of them believe in America. None of them believe in freedom. And that's the political end of why we have to defy it. And God knows what they'll do next. 
I don't know if they put anything funny in the vaccines now, but the Chinese might have, because did you know that Pfizer, who makes one of the biggest vaccines, has an investment partnership with China through its German partner? Hmm. I mean, people don't know these things. They're in the book that documented there's a German, a Chinese corporation, which means communist Chinese corporation, investing in a German group that is, that is co-partnering with Pfizer so that all the information is being shared with China. So um, that's the political end. The most important thing I want to get to is deaths. We now, as of about two weeks ago, had a hundred, had, had seventeen hundred deaths reported to the CDC's voluntary reporting system by people from around America who saw people die within forty-eight hours. If that happened with any other substance, any other drug, if it happened with the flu vaccine, it would be taken off the market, there'd be a moratorium and a giant investigation. What has the CDC done with this growing number of deaths? It has said, well, we don't have any evidence that any of them are directly linked, which is ridiculous because the whole principle of public health CDC activities are to look for patterns because that's what you get in public health. You got a huge pattern. Now, 1,700 deaths so far in the U.S. You know, is a large number. It's larger than you would get from looking at any FDA. I really know a lot about FDA. I don't think there's another FDA substance that would ever produce that and be left on the market. Hmm. But it's a fraction of the deaths. Because I also know about how the FAIRS system, it's called, the, the, uh, the VAIR, the, uh, the V, how that system works. It's, if you have 1,000 reports, let's say by now it's probably 2,000, 2,000 reports, there's no telling how many multiples of actual deaths there are. Mm-hmm. Because it's voluntary. I've been in infinite numbers of lawsuits against doctors for malpractice where their patients have died or been badly injured in no lawsuit I've ever been involved in that the doctor reported Hmm. because they don't want to be in trouble. The only time I saw anybody report such a happening was uh, I was also involved. Well, I was involved in the first, I was the expert for medical expert scientists for all the combined Prozac suits. And in our first suit, uh, Eli, uh, 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 a doctor gave a, a very disturbed patient, in this case, uh, Prozac, so it wasn't just the Prozac, who then went a few days later and murdered about a dozen people at his place of work. And the drug company, the dis, uh, distributor, reported it to the FDA, but the doctor didn't. Then when I told Ginger that, she said, well, honey, most of the doctors don't even know who's getting vaccines now. So they're not there to make that connection. I said, oh, my God, yes, of course not. In fact, there's nobody there to make the connection. Most of the reports are coming out of nursing homes, not just because they're old people, but because there's somebody watching to report it. Yeah. And it's usually then going to be a nursing home nurse or somebody. So it is possible that instead of 
2,000 deaths right now in the U.S. associated closely with the, the vaccine might be 20,000. We have no idea. It could be even higher. And the obviously other side of it is the deaths reported for COVID-19 are inflated out the ceiling. So if they're saying at any given moment there are 500,000 deaths, it could be 12,000. It's that bad. Because if you happen to get a test COVID-19 positive and you're killed by a gunshot, you're reported under the CDC's unique rules, only allowed for this. You're reported as a COVID-19 death. Hmm. So you're vastly inflating the, uh, the data. In fact, only 6%, according to the FDA, only 6% of COVID-19 reported deaths could be attributed solely to COVID-19. All the rest had other factors. Wow. So you're vastly inflating the deaths, and you are for the virus, and vastly minimizing the deaths for the vaccines. We need a moratorium. Several countries now, it might be up to 15. It's, it's actually, it's near 20, actually. 20, now thank you. We got... And we need to work together. We got to share the information. And um, now, yeah, so this large number of countries have, have put moratoriums. They say, we're not giving these things anymore. Um, so I, I think that people should not do everything in their power not to take the vaccine. And of course, don't give it to your children. Your children have zero risk of dying from this almost zero risk of even getting it and getting a cold and close to a zero risk of giving it to anybody else. So why would you want to first make your children sick, which probably is happening in between 30 and 50% of people are really getting much sicker than from the flu and vaccines. Why do it? It's very, it's dangerous. Um, before we knew anything about this, uh, Ginger probably, and myself too, but Ginger definitely had an early case of COVID. We're, in, we're here in um, a small town with uh, Cornell and a huge number of wonderful Chinese people. Um, all the scientists, however, are obliged under a special rule, one of them called military civil fusion, to report back to Communist Party. All the wonderful scientists here. I know Chinese people, really sweet young young people here. And so we were exposed to COVID here and from our own lives more than most people. And in January, Ginger got a respiratory illness, uh, the, and she was uh, 69 at the time, the worst she's ever had. We had really good treatment, but we didn't know it was COVID-19, of course. And uh, Ginger reported to her doctor that she'd lost all taste and smell, and that's now considered more diagnostic than the test. By the way, the test being used, the person who died of the gunshot wound and had a positive test probably still didn't even have a positive test because there's so many false positives. So if you get a false positive test, you're in an auto accident, you die, you get called a COVID-19 death. It's that crazy. I know I'm all over the place. I feel like I'm throwing things at a, my imagination of wallpaper or something here today. I'm just talking to you. Yeah. We have been just overwhelmed with information lately, and you're, you're watching the effects of that. 
It's been uh, truly fascinating speaking with you, uh, Dr. Bregan. Uh, Your book again, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I encourage you all to sign up for an early version of the book because why? What does it get them to sign up for the early version? Well, if you sign up for the early version, first you get a vastly reduced price and then you instantly in your mailbox get the working version of the book. So you can read the rough manuscript, but it's near the finished book. It's 400 plus pages. It's 800 citations. So you can get all the information documented right there. Um, And you can get, we have a dedicated website, uh, wearetheprey.com. Go to wearetheprey.com. Easy to find, wearetheprey.com. And you'll be able to just purchase the book, um, and uh, I think it's, I don't remember, it's under 10 bucks, I think. And um, you uh, then will immediately get all the backup for 90% of what I've been saying today. Great being with you, Dr. Bruggen. Thank you for all the great work you're doing. Can I call you John Henry? Please, yeah. Call, call me Peter. Call me Peter. I want to be with you and do things with you. And um, thank you so much for having me on the show and for this God-given coincidence that the day before you called, we watched you <laughs> at midnight and were blown away. <laughs> Bye. Praise God. Thank you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, 
and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.